Hey everyone, so this is going to be unscripted and hopefully it will be relatively brief as well. But you guys know me. Um, I just released that Veiled Prophet episode a couple of days ago, I uh, released the YouTube version today, but I was late getting that out and so we probably went a whole week without any new content and that was kind of weighing on me. So I wanted to try to get something else out for you guys before the weekend's out. And also, I want to try to address this story while it's relatively fresh, so to speak. Uh, and so you've probably heard that renowned author Salman Rushdie was recently, um, recently attacked. He was stabbed right before he was about to give a lecture. And I've long felt a connection to Salman Rushdie because I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of the late, great Christopher Hitchens, and the two were good friends. And I believe Hitchens actually sheltered Rushdie in his D.C. apartment while he was living in serious fear for his life because of uh, Ayatollah Khomeini's fatwa. And I'm sure most of you probably already know the story, but in 1988, uh, Rushdie published a book entitled The Satanic Verses, and it was very controversial in the Islamic world, because there's this tradition or dispute, and, and I'm working without a net here, this isn't scripted, but there's this idea that there were verses in the Quran where the Prophet Muhammad was promoting the acceptance of these three pagan Arabian goddesses uh, who had traditionally been worshipped in Mecca. And um, Muhammad later revoked those verses and claimed that it was Iblis, it was the devil who had tempted him into uh, uttering those verses. But in... Um, in Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses, the narrator reveals that uh, the, those verses actually came from not the devil, but the mouth of the archangel Gabriel. And so that didn't sit well with a lot of people in the Muslim world. And the book was actually banned in Iran, India, Bangladesh, Sudan, South Africa, and I'm looking at some notes here, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Kenya, Thailand, Tanzania, Indonesia, Singapore, Venezuela, Venezuela, and Pakistan. But the publication of the book caused violence worldwide, or that feels like I'm blaming the book, and I'm actually sympathetic to or on the side of Rushdie and free speech here. But you know what I mean, in response to the publication of the book, there was violence worldwide, there were um, riots, there were book burnings, there, were, uh, there was the firebombing of bookstores, and some people even died during these riots or rallies or protests, whatever you want to call them. And in January of uh, 1989, Rushdie published a column in The Observer, and he said, Muhammad, in quotes, was one of the great geniuses of world history. And he added that his novel uh, is not, in quotes again, an anti-religious novel. It is, however, an attempt to write about migration, its stresses and transformations. Then also in 1989, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, um, 
Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa ordering Rushdie's execution, um, and he, he did so on Radio Tehran. He called the book, quote-unquote, blasphemous against Islam. And a bounty was also offered for Rushdie's death, and for years he had to live under police protection. And I think it may have been during that time uh, that Christopher Hitchens had sheltered Rushdie. And then in, um, in March of 1989, the UK and Iran actually broke diplomatic relations over the matter. And he was on BBC Radio 4, and he was asked about the threat to his life. And he said, in quotes, Frankly, I wish I had written a more critical book. And I'm very sad that it should have happened. It's not true that this book is a blasphemy against Islam. I doubt very much that Khomeini or anyone else in Iran has read the book or more than selected extracts out of context. And then later in 1998, as a kind of precondition to help restore relations between uh, the UK and the Iranian government, uh, then headed by, I think it was Mohammad Khatami. Um, the Iranian government gave a public commitment that it would, in quotes, neither support nor hinder assassination operations on Rushdie. Very helpful. And then in 2005, the current spiritual leader of Iran, not Khomeini, but Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, I think it is, probably butchered that. Don't really mind if I offend him. I'm sure he doesn't listen to the podcast. But he reaffirmed Khomeini's fatwa against Rushdie, so basically reaffirmed the call for Rushdie's death. And so I had mentioned that the original fatwa was issued on February 14th, and Rushdie kind of sardonically jokes that Every February 14th, he still receives a kind of what he calls Valentine's Day card from Iran, uh, reminding him that they haven't forgotten about their vow to kill him. And then I was just looking at my notes, and I want to jump back in time a bit here. There was something I forgot to mention. On August 3rd of 8. 1889. Yeah, that's really jumping back in time. And on August 3rd of 1989, there was a failed assassination attempt on Rushdie. Uh, a man named Mustafa Mahmoud Maza, I think it is, but he was priming a bomb when it exploded prematurely, killing him and destroying two floors of the hotel he was in. And I don't know if he's the only one that was hurt in the blast or not. If so, I was going to say there's almost something darkly comical about it. And I know you shouldn't, you know, in general joke about the loss of human life, uh, even someone like this perhaps. But the idea of this guy, you know, sitting in a hotel room and uh, suddenly blowing himself up like the assassin equivalent of Mr. Bean or whatever, you know, um... But uh, I guess that's kind of what you get, though. If you're willing to explode a bomb that could kill, you know, who knows how many people, and you're the only one who's taken out by it, I actually looked it up. There's an old L.A. Times article, actually, from 1989, and it doesn't mention anyone else being hurt. But interestingly, it says, according to Tehran Radio, the bomber's name was Garib Mazra, so a different name than I found in, you know, modern articles that are kind of, you know, looking back retrospectively on the incident. 
Yeah, here's a New York Post article, so take it for what it's worth, uh, from three days ago. And it says Lebanese national Mustafa Mahmoud Maza died when a book bomb he had prematurely exploded in a London hotel on August 3rd, 1989. So once again, in that ancient LA Times article that was dated August 5th, so two days after the incident, they say Tehran Radio named the bomber as Garib or Garib Mazra, um, but the man signed himself in as Maza. So who knows, maybe Tehran was trying to claim credit, so they gave um, a false name or whatever. Uh, I don't know. But we know that the guy was a Lebanese national, and apparently a previously unknown Lebanese group claimed credit for the attack, or claimed that the guy was one of theirs. And I believe the name of the group was something like the Mujahideen of Islam. And they said that he, the failed assassin, died preparing an attack on, quote-unquote, the apostate Rushdie. And then in 2006, there was the Jilan Postin, um, Muhammad cartoon controversy, and Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah, I think it is, declared that, and here's the quote, if there had been a Muslim to carry out Imam Khomeini's fatwa against the renegade Salman Rushdie, this rabble who insult our prophet Muhammad in Denmark, Norway, and France would not have dared to do so. I am sure there are millions of Muslims who are ready to give their lives to defend our prophet's honor, and we have to be ready to do anything for that. And I say, screw you, get bent. Uh, the suggestion of killing people in the name of religion, killing living, breathing human beings to defend the honor of some long-dead religious figure, uh, grotesque, um, absolutely abhorrent. And then in 2010, Anwar al-Awlaki, or Alaki. <laughs> I've heard the guy's name in the news a million times. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, but he published an Al-Qaeda hit list in Inspire magazine. Uh, the list was comprised of the names of people uh, that they saw as having insulted Islam, and the list included Rushdie. But finally, to get to this recent attack, on August 12th, so only two days ago as I'm recording this, Rushdie was about to start a lecture at Chautauqua or the Chautauqua Institution. Um, I think it's a nonprofit education center uh, in New York. And a man rushed the stage and began stabbing him repeatedly, including in the neck and abdomen. Luckily, a local trooper was able to pull the man away and he was taken into custody. Rushdie was airlifted to a trauma center in New Jersey, where he underwent surgery before being placed on a ventilator. Despite the severity of his injuries, only a day later, he was able to come off the ventilator and was capable of speaking. According to his agent, uh, he wasn't just stabbed in the neck and abdomen. Well, specifically, he was stabbed in the liver and also sustained injuries to his hand. And this is really disturbing. But his agent said that there's a chance he may lose an eye. And that little detail or revelation really got to me. Salman Rushdie seems like such a nice, mild-mannered, intelligent, uh, soft-spoken guy. 
And here he is in his 70s and some madman attacks him and he'll, you know, he could lose an eye now. And I believe in the most recent updates, they're saying he probably will lose the eye. And speaking of recent updates, I want to pause for a moment for the sake of clarity. At the beginning of this episode, I stated how I wanted to try to get this episode out before the close of the weekend, and that's technically still true. It's just one weekend later. Uh, The old day job got the best of me, and a whole work week flew by without me having a chance to finish up the show. So my apologies for that. I know this Rushdie story might be becoming old news at this point. And that's not to diminish the seriousness of it. I'm just saying that you've probably heard everyone else and their mother talk about it by now. So I'm a little late to the party. Poor choice of words, but you know what I mean. And on a side note, believe me, I'd much rather be doing the podcast than my day job. But as they say, you know, the bills aren't going to pay themselves. Uh, But anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, so I mentioned the suspect is a young New Jersey man named Hadi Matar, I think it is. And there's been some interesting developments or revelations concerning him. His parents are no longer together, and his mother claims that his personality really changed after he went overseas to spend time with his estranged father. And so this is from a Times of Israel article that's dated August 16th. Rushdie's attacker was changed by 2018 Lebanon trip, says mother. Lebanese-born Silvana Fardos, who lives in New Jersey, tells UK newspaper that Hadi Matar became more religious, moody, after spending a month with estranged father. The attacker, who stabbed British author Salman Rushdie multiple times at a New York event on Friday, was transformed by a trip to Lebanon in 2018, when he became more religious and less outgoing, his mother told the UK Daily Mail newspaper this week. Lebanese-born Silvana Fardos of Fairview, New Jersey, described her 24-year-old son Hadi Matar as quote-unquote, a moody introvert increasingly fixated with Islam after the month-long visit to see his estranged father. One time he argued with me asking why I encouraged him to get an education instead of focusing on religion. Well, it seems like the mom had her head on straight, at least as far as we can tell. He was angry that I did not introduce him to Islam from a young age, Fardos 46 said in an interview published online Sunday. Matar was arrested at the scene of the attack on Rushdie, 75, at a literary event in upstate New York. He pleaded not guilty the following day to charges of attempted murder and assault with a weapon and is being held without bail. Prosecutors have described a planned premeditated assault on Rushdie, who was stabbed approximately 10 times. Police have provided no information about the suspect's background or his possible motive. I could give you a possible motive. He was a radicalized religious zealot who wanted to kill a quote-unquote apostate. And I'm sure everyone basically knows that, including law enforcement. But obviously, they have to be careful and responsible about what they say or let out there. 
Award-winning author Rushdie has faced death threats for more than 30 years for the satanic verses. Iran's late supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini, had issued a fatwa or Islamic edict demanding his death. An Iranian foundation had put up a bounty of over $3 million for the author. Fardo said she was shell-shocked to receive a call from one of her twin 14-year-old daughters telling her that the FBI was at the family's home and her son was allegedly responsible for the stabbing. I just cannot believe he was capable of doing something like this. He was very quiet, everyone loved him, she said, and noted she doesn't know if her son had even read Rushdie's famous book, The Satanic Verses. My guess would be he probably didn't read the book. Uh, as I think we touched on earlier, Rushdie himself kind of darkly joked or stated that he doubted whether, you know, the higher-ups in the Iranian government, possibly the Ayatollah himself, had ever actually read the book. We're dealing with religious zealots here, religious fundamentalists. Uh, they hear someone insulted, you know, supposedly insulted their religion, so they have to die. In fairness, as mentioned earlier, they probably did at least read the controversial excerpts, but I doubt they tried to understand them within a broader context or try to be at least somewhat open-minded and try to understand where Rushdie was coming from as an author and entertain the possibility that perhaps this wasn't meant to be malicious. Um... No, they're fundamentalists. Someone said something that doesn't jive with their view of their religion, so you gotta die. Uh, scary, barbaric, uh, anachronistic stuff. And then there were reports that Rushdie's attacker may have been involved with Iran's uh, Revolutionary Guard. And this article is dated August 15th, and it's from the New York Post, for what it's worth. But in fairness, this does seem like a pretty uh, fair and grounded article. And it's by someone named Emily Crane. And I know I should credit people more often for their work. But anyway, here we go. The New Jersey man charged with stabbing famous novelist Salman Rushdie had been in direct contact with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps on social media prior to Friday's attack, according to a report. Hadi Matar, 24, had communicated with, in quotes, people either directly involved with or adjacent to the Revolutionary Guard's external operations force, Vice reported, citing a Middle Eastern intelligence official. Other security officials cited by the outlet wouldn't elaborate on the nature of Matar's reported contact with the Revolutionary Guard, including who initiated the contact or when it took place. And here's a quote, It's unclear the extent of the involvement, if this was a directly supported assassination attempt, or if it was a series of suggestions and directions in picking a target, the Middle Eastern official reportedly said. Law enforcement sources told the Post last week that initial investigations suggested Matar had previously made social media posts in support of Iran and its Revolutionary Guard. Rushdie, 75, has been the subject of death threats from the Iranian regime since the late 1980s, after Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini, issued a fatwa or Islamic edict demanding the author's slaying. 
An Iranian official on Monday denied Tehran was involved in Rushdie's stabbing, but sought to justify the attack. And so here's a really disgusting quote that was making the rounds, and here's what uh, you know Tehran had to say. Regarding the attack against Salman Rushdie in America, we don't consider anyone deserving reproach, blame, or even condemnation except for Rushdie himself and his supporters, said Iran Foreign Ministry spokesman Nasser Kanani, I believe it is. In this regard, no one can blame the Islamic Republic of Iran, he added. We believe the insults made and the support he received was an insult against followers of all religions. Really? You're concerned about an insult to uh, any religion other than Islam? I find that difficult to believe. He wrote a fiction story that utilizes a concept that's contentious in Islam, and it made you feel uncomfortable. So, <laughs> and, oh no, you felt like he insulted your religion. So you wanted him dead. And you think, you know, that justifies any level of barbarism. It's, it's grotesque. Killing people in the, or maiming people in the name of religion, it's disgusting. Let's move forward as a species and get beyond this anachronistic, abhorrent garbage. And as a follow-up to that bit about the Revolutionary Guard, as of about two days ago, the, uh, the attacker or suspect claims that he worked alone. But anyway, what I found to be a bit of poetic justice or a kind of silver lining, uh, a bit of delightful irony, uh, is that after all this, sales of uh, Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses have been surging. So here's a bit from a Yahoo News article dated uh, August 15th. So it's entitled Sales of the Satanic Verses Surge After Salman Rushdie's Stabbing. Salman Rushdie's novel, The Satanic Verses, is surging up bestseller lists amid renewed interest in the author's works after he was brutally stabbed in western New York State on Friday. The paper book edition of the magical realism novel sits atop Amazon's contemporary literature and fiction chart, is second in the censorship and politics category, and was the 18th bestselling book overall on the e-commerce site on Monday. And they mentioned magical realism there. That's just a literary style that uh, Salman Rushdie is known for. It, I think, tries to ground the story in a, you know, a sense of reality, uh, but then also adds magical elements. But I say good for you, Mr. Rushdie, uh, the direct opposite of what they wanted. They wanted to kill this man because they didn't like his book, and they failed, and now his book is probably more popular than ever. It doesn't make up for the horrific violence they visited upon this man, but at least it's something. You know, at least some kind of feeling like we people on the side of reason and secularism that we kind of kind of won this one in the end when you think about it. For now, at least. But maybe I'll end this episode with a tweet from Salman Rushdie's son, Zafar. And so it begins, a family statement. Following the attack on Friday, my father remains in critical condition in hospital, receiving extensive ongoing medical treatment. We are extremely relieved that yesterday he was taken off of the ventilator and additional oxygen 
and has been able to say a few words. Though his life-changing injuries are severe, his usual feisty and defiant sense of humor remains intact. We are so grateful to all the audience members who bravely leapt to his defense and administered first aid, along with the police and doctors who have cared for him and for the outpouring of love and support from around the world. We ask for continued patience and privacy as the family come together at his bedside to support and help him through this time. Zafar Rushdie. So I thought I'd leave it with that, with, uh, you know, a heartfelt message from one of his loved ones who is by his side. Uh, I don't believe prayers do anything, but my thoughts are with, uh, with Salman Rushdie and his family. And, um, it looks like he will indeed survive. Uh, and, um, I can't wait for him to heal up and hear what he has to say. And, uh, huh. Yeah. Just glad he survived. Um, not the most eloquent way to end things here, but, uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and until next time.